Jehovah's Witness in Russia, you know that at any time, armed police could break down your door, drag you to the police station and interrogate you, and you could be facing a lengthy prison sentence. Hello, and welcome to the USERVE Spotlight Podcast, a podcast series by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each episode, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Welcome to USERV Spotlight. I'm Keely Bakken, a senior policy analyst with the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Today, we'll be discussing the ongoing persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses in the Russian Federation. In April 2017, the Russian Supreme Court issued a ruling banning the Jehovah's Witnesses as an extremist organization, a tactic that the government has increasingly employed to marginalize and criminalize the activities of various religious minority organizations and communities. Since that ruling five years ago, law enforcement authorities across Russia have raided, detained, and arrested Jehovah's Witnesses on charges related to their peaceful religious activities, such as leading prayer. According to statistics published by Jehovah's Witnesses, approximately 643 witnesses have been charged with organizing the activities of an extremist organization, and nearly 350 total detained or arrested at some point in time. Most recently, as of this month, 100 witnesses are imprisoned in Russia for their beliefs. Yusuf has routinely reported on Russia's targeting of Jehovah's Witnesses and other members of religious minority groups, particularly Muslims, on charges of extremism. This repression has also extended beyond Russia's borders into neighboring Ukraine, where Russia earlier this year launched a full-scale invasion and has exported its religious freedom violations to Ukrainian territories that it either occupies or controls. Since 2017, and most recently in April 2022, USERF has recommended that the U.S. Department of State designate Russia as a country of particular concern, or CPC, for engaging in systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom. In late 2021, the State Department for the first time implemented that recommendation, recognizing Russia as one of the worst violators of religious freedom. We're joined today by David Williams, Deputy Director of the Office of Public Information, and Jared Lopes, Senior Communications Officer from the World Headquarters of Jehovah's Witnesses in New York. David and Jared, thank you for joining me today on User Spotlight. Thank you, uh, Keely. It's very nice to be here with you today. To start, can you give us a brief overview of Russia's persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses, both leading up to and since the 2017 Supreme Court decision? How has Russia's labeling of Jehovah's Witnesses as extremists impacted witnesses and their families throughout the country? What the, the Russian government was determined for years to ban Jehovah's Witnesses, and it was a slow, deliberate process. Uh, around 2006, they modified the law on extremism, and that law gave a very vague, broad definition of what extremism was. And so the government could now apply it arbitrarily to anyone they wanted to. Shortly after that, the government started putting some of our literature on their federal list of extremist materials. Once the literature was on the list, Russia used that to start banning our legal entities. 
culminating in the liquidation of all of our legal entities and the confiscation of all of our property beginning in 2017. Now, Russia had claimed to various international bodies that they were merely banning our legal entities and that individual witnesses would still be free to practice their faith. But less than a month after that ban in 2017, they started arresting people. And now, five years later, for a Jehovah's Witness in Russia, you know that any time armed police could break down your door, drag you to the police station and interrogate you, and you could be facing a lengthy prison sentence. By labeling Jehovah's Witnesses extremists, Russia has done more than put them in an unflattering light. The term extremist comes with criminal repercussions and thus impacts witness families in every aspect of their lives, uh, and particularly materially and emotionally. Uh, materially, uh, over 450 Jehovah's Witnesses have been placed on the country's terrorist extremist list. And because of this, their finances, their pensions, their family savings are frozen. They're very difficult, if not impossible, to access. Wives and young children are forced to fend for themselves with the added burden that their father has been branded an extremist. In terms of emotional trauma, families are being irrevocably damaged. The prosecution of one family member has a reverb of effects on generations before and after. For example, several middle-aged single adults were the sole caretaker of their elderly parents. But now they are powerless to help their parents because they're either in prison or they're labeled an extremist so they've lost their job and spent most of their time dealing with legal issues. Also, we know of about 100 Jehovah's Witness fathers with as many as three minor children. And several of those men have been sentenced to prison for six or seven years. So their young children will have to face the most challenging, impressionable teen years without their father's guidance and support. And, and one final point of emotional trauma has to do with the home raids. In many cases, local police and FSB will raid homes early in the morning or late at night when the families are asleep or not fully dressed. The authorities will break into the home, even enter the bedroom, and pull the man and his wife out of bed. In a few cases, the wife had to endure watching and listening while her husband was dragged to the next room, beaten and tortured. And for the man, torture often includes the police threatening to rape his wife if he doesn't renounce his faith or divulge personal information about fellow believers. But now, despite such egregious systematic attacks on the immediate families of Jehovah's Witnesses, those directly affected have been extraordinarily supported by their spiritual family of fellow believers. Thus, Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia have told us they are prevailing in the face of this vicious, uh, unlawful attacks, and that Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, obviously, they don't welcome the persecution, but their faith has gotten stronger because they've seen how God has helped their families through the heroic support of their fellow believers. So you both have mentioned Russian authorities have increasingly issued long, multi-year prison sentences to Jehovah's Witnesses. And just last year, one witness, Alexei Berchuk, received an eight-year prison sentence for the peaceful practice of his beliefs. What do, you, what do you make of this troubling trend, and what can you tell us about conditions for witnesses in pretrial detention centers and prisons? You're right. The prison terms have escalated dramatically, and they have gotten more severe. 
Since Alexei's sentence, there have been three other men likewise sentenced to prison for eight years. Uh, in 2019, the maximum sentence was six and a half years. And in 2021, the maximum sentence jumped to eight years. And, and this is severe if you look at Russia's criminal code. Uh, grievous bodily harm endangering life carries a maximum of eight years. Kidnapping, five years. Rape, three to, five, three to six years, excuse me. So for Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, internationally recognized as peaceful Christians, to be given eight years in prison is an extreme injustice. It's, it's, it's patently absurd. Uh, not, but not only have terms increased, but the amount of prison sentences have increased. There were two in 2019, four in 2020, and 27 in 2021. In, in some cases, Jehovah's Witnesses have been severely beaten in prison. Uh, for instance, five Jehovah's Witnesses were severely beaten uh, when they arrived to the prison in Orenburg. One of the men was hospitalized with a broken rib, punctured lung, and uh, damage to his kidney. Now, once in prison, peaceful Jehovah's Witnesses are jailed alongside criminals, and the conditions are inhumane. Uh, many of the cells are designed for 10 people, yet uh, 15 could be placed in the cell. Uh, so the witnesses may have to sleep on the floor to avoid conflict with the other prisoners. Uh, some of the witnesses have serious health issues. Uh, they struggle to get needed medicine and proper medical care. Letters to and from their families are, are sometimes uh, withheld. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are often also assigned to what are called pressure cells, where inmates and guards are directed to pressure the witnesses to renounce their faith or to divulge, to divulge information about fellow believers. So these trends are troubling and, and it's disturbing that the authorities continue their discriminatory attack on Jehovah's Witnesses and increasingly impose longer and harsher sentences. Well, it certainly seems like things have been escalating. And, and as you've laid out for us, far too many people have been unjustifiably targeted and impacted by the Russian government's inexplicable campaign against Jehovah's Witnesses. Can you share for our audience some of the criminal cases involving Jehovah's Witnesses and which cases have been caused for a particular concern? Well, there are several cases that it would illustrate Russia's cruel and callous treatment of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, a few come to mind. Uh, Villain Avinasov, uh, he will turn 70 years old this month, and he's serving a six-year sentence, uh, while his son, 39-year-old Arson, is serving six and a half years. Uh, Dennis Christensen spent five years in prison before getting released earlier this year, uh, but presently 50-year-old Sergei Filatov has been in prison the longest over three and a half years since March, 2020. He has one minor child and three adult children. Anna Safranova received the longest sentence at six years for a female Jehovah's Witness. Her mother is over 80 years old and Anna was her sole caretaker. So as we mentioned earlier, this persecution is, is devastating to families. Uh, Anna is one of 40 women who have spent time behind bars. And uh, the last example is one that, that's really hit me lately, 57-year-old uh, Andrei Vlasov. Uh, he was sentenced to seven years in prison earlier this year. He's disabled, he has severe arthritis, he can't really bend his knees. So when he was at home, his wife helped him to perform basic daily tasks like getting dressed, 
and helping him to use the bathroom. So you can imagine his struggle in prison. To get dressed, he has to place his clothes on the floor and try to wiggle his way into his undergarments and clothes, all of this in front of his other inmates. So these are just a few of the many cases that, that illustrate the callous and indiscriminate nature of this persecution. And it shows that no one is exempt, older ones, uh, uh, those with family members that rely on them. The authorities are going after some of the most vulnerable in these communities, despite the fact that the Jehovah's Witnesses are a peaceful people. Thank you for sharing those those cases, which, yeah, this is an important point. Those are just a few to illustrate what's happening across the country to many people. So last year, in October 2021, Russia's Supreme Court issued a ruling stating that worship and other religious ceremonies are not a crime and should not be prosecuted. And clearly that decision has done nothing to halt the detention and arrests of Jehovah's Witnesses for those very things. So what do you make of this ruling and what effect has it had, if any, on the state's approach to Jehovah's Witnesses? And how would you describe the Russian government's overall rhetoric towards witnesses? You know, over the past uh, 10, 15 years as this ordeal has been going on, there have been a couple of things that have happened in Russia that gave us a little bit of hope that maybe the situation will start to improve. And the plenum resolution was, was one of those. They, they said, well, you can't prosecute someone just for worshiping. And so we thought, well, maybe it will start to get a little bit better for Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia. And although it did not end the persecution, we have seen some slight improvement overall, uh, in particular with the numbers, a number of searches and raids uh, over the last year, it's gone down a little bit. And so that's, that's, a little bit of improvement that we're happy uh, has happened. And most importantly, thanks to some brave judges in Russia, we've had three acquittals because of the clarification of the plenum. Now, to give you some context, acquittals for in criminal cases are very, very rare in Russian courts. Uh, I think over one recent year, year-long period, less than 0.1% of all cases end in, in an acquittal. So uh, although three is just very small, and it, we would be much happier if it were many more acquittals, it's a positive result, and we feel that the, the plenum resolution contributed to these three. What would be great is if more courageous judges in Russia could look at these cases honestly and see that these, these Jehovah's Witnesses are not extremists, they're not dangerous, and acquit them of their crime. Yeah, it's encouraging to hear that there have been some positive developments, even if only relatively slight for the situation. This past June, the European Court of Human Rights also issued a ruling against Russia in a case involving Jehovah's Witnesses and concluded that the government had violated freedom of thought, conscience, and religion, among other rights, by banning the group. So can you explain the importance of this decision and Along with that, what else can the international community, including the U.S. government, do to support Jehovah's Witnesses and religious freedom in Russia? The European court judgment, the Tag and Rog and others uh, v. Russia, was a powerful uh, judgment against Russia. And what the European court did is they took 20 different applications uh, against Russia and combined them into this one case. So it covered about 1,400 individual Jehovah's Witnesses. And the judgment was unambiguous. You know, the court could have just come and said, 
well, the, the ban was wrong. You need to overturn it and you need to compensate Jehovah's Witnesses. But they didn't do that. They went through and refuted every single false accusation that the Russian government made about Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, for example, the, the court said that Russian courts did not identify any word, deed, or action by Jehovah's Witnesses that would be motivated or tainted by violence, hatred, or discrimination against others. Uh, the Russian government had said, well, you're extremist because you train your children to be Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, the European court came back and said, well, of course they train their children to be Jehovah's Witnesses. That's the responsibility and the right of parents to do that. The Russian government said that we were extremists because we shared our faith with other people. Well, the European court came back and said that trying to convince one's neighbor is an essential element of religious freedom. You can't take that away and claim that you have religious freedom. The European court ordered the Russian government to pay back uh, uh, about 60 million euros to Jehovah's Witnesses or to turn, back the, uh, turn the property back over to them. And one really powerful statement that the European court made that showed the motives of the Russian government they said that the ban was a policy of intolerance by the Russian authorities toward the religious practices of Jehovah's Witnesses designed to cause Jehovah's Witnesses to abandon their faith and prevent others from joining it. So they can get down to the motives and say this wasn't just a ban on legal entities. They were trying to crush Jehovah's Witnesses in Russia. The European, European court here really laid bare the emptiness of Russia's claims and showed that the government was determined to ban Jehovah's Witnesses, regardless of what the facts showed. And Keely, you had asked what can government officials and, and governments do to support Jehovah's Witnesses? And it, it's a, obviously a very difficult situation uh, that's going on right now, and it's hard to have an impact inside the country. But what we found in the past is that when government officials make public statements about the persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses, and perhaps about an individual witness who's going through something, that can at times give the Russian government pause and alleviate the persecution, at least to some extent. And with that, we'll have to leave it right there. I'd like to thank David Williams and Jared Lopez again for taking the time to speak with us and share more about Russia's ongoing persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses. You can find this year's USERF annual report chapter on Russia and other publications and resources related to Russia's religious freedom violations on our website. As always, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.
and Jared Lopes, Senior Communications Officer, 